a lot of people would think that this podcast gives a lot of seeds of information. So many seeds that it could fill its own vault one day. But maybe there's already a vault that holds all those seeds. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Off the Top Podcast. I'm your host, Julian. Jordan, how are you doing? Dude, I'm doing really well, man. Uh, looking forward to making another podcast about something that's very, very interesting and has a lot of information behind it. Today's podcast, kind of when I was researching, made me think of our podcast we did a little, a little while ago about kind of zombies and doomsday scenarios. And I think this is a real life, greatly placed, great idea of a doomsday bunker that is housing all of food, all of the seeds for food for as long as we can remember. Yeah. So basically what we're talking about is the Svalbard Global Seed Vault in Norway. And what this seed vault is, is basically the bank of all of the important plants that the world needs. And that's something I never thought about. Every day I go to Chipotle or I make a sandwich at home and I just eat it and I consume it. But I never think about you know, the barley or the wheat or some of the seeds that needed a plant were planted to make this food and how that's ever changing and our climate's changing. And the Svalbard essentially is housing up to a billion types of seeds that if for something were to go wrong on earth, they'd be housed in this place and we could test out to see if these seeds would grow down the road. Yeah, exactly. Just to put a number in your guys' head. So in the seed vault, in the Svalbard Sea Vault, there is 1,075,940 or 954 seed deposits currently, which takes up about 6,000 different species with 76 depositors. And those depositors even include like North Korea. Too. So there's a spot with, you know, all of the countries together have their own seeds in this place. The This place, Svalbard, is located in Norway, which is roughly 800 miles from the North Pole. And I'm not joking when I'm saying that there are literally polar bears who are in sight distance roaming around this giant villainous looking vault. Um, if you've seen it, it's just this kind of jetting metal structure that peaks out of the side of a mountain so that all the ice on earth were to melt, it still wouldn't come up to the entry doors of Svalbard or the global seed vault to be protected in all scenarios um, and also stay always in permafrost. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Like what an image if you read it or listeners can just like, you know, imagine this like ominous, it's almost like this elongated metal that's square that juds out of this mountain. And you have your moat of just polar bears and absolute frozenness. And that's where you keep all the important stuff and the master plan to take over the world. But <laughs> Julian is correct in the fact of, you know, this is a really interesting and smart spot to put a, pl a place that needs to be perfectly controlled and perfectly safe for a long, long amount of time. So this is basically in the permafrost, like Julian was saying, which means that basically permanently frozen earth. So this earth has, I think, the temperature of about 
negative four Celsius. And also it was made out of a like a basically an old coal mine. And so it just goes deep into this mountainside and deep into the earth to get that proper temperature. Some people call this the world's most important freezer because, I mean, essentially it is, it holds everything to, like Jordan said, minus four or five Celsius. Um, and the vaults themselves are held at uh, minus 18 Celsius. I think that's minus 0 0.4 degrees Fahrenheit, essentially so that this is where seeds be preserved for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And the really cool thing about this, as we alluded to earlier, it's very similar to a bank, but everything in this freezer is public domain. Yeah, yeah, which is really cool. So you can literally look up certain seed or certain genus of seed that is in the bank currently. And so I know that some of you guys are thinking like, oh, let me like ship, you know, my seed into the vault. And I'll tell you what, that is not going to get a response from what I've done research on, just purely on the research side, boys. And uh, if you don't get what Jordan is hinting at here, he means they only take plant seed or food seeds. They don't take human sperm or eggs or embryos to be frozen in there. Someone might have tried to snuck some in, but they also don't take any seeds that are related to drugs. So, uh, you know, an example would be marijuana. And it's really an honor system because the, the people that work at Svalbard don't necessarily check the boxes. Like they don't go and open up other people's boxes. Um, there's probably a vetting and, you know, there's an honor system and it probably goes through a metal detector to make sure it's not a bomb. But it is pretty private, um, allowing you know, a lot of variety of seeds to come through and be placed in there. Yeah, exactly. And so that's kind of like the cool spot about it being that it is this international hub for all of the rest of the world to put their seeds that they think are important. And so you have thousands of species of like maize or like chickpeas or like beans, lentils, things like that. And at the same time, you know, you just assume what's in these things and just believe everyone's saying that really what's in there is what's in there. So it's kind of like this mystery thing of like, imagine at the end of the world, you go to Norway to get into the seed vault, you open up and you see that like North Korea was trolling and put in like some like hot pockets or something into their seed vault bank. So I, I find it like extremely interesting that it is the way that it's managed. It's almost like free form in a sense of it kind of runs itself and regulates itself in a way, not being able to check what's in these seed boxes. The other thing too that I found interesting talking about large varieties of seeds is, for example, the Svalbard. There are many other similar seed vaults around the world, but the Svalbard itself holds over 200,000 varieties of rice. And the reason that there's 200,000 varieties of rice being held in the Svalbard is because down the road, say climate change heats things up quite a bit or something else occurs on earth, is that, you know, out of those 200,000 varieties of rice, not every single one is going to work the same when it comes out of that vault. So it's making sure, you know, with technology that maybe they're splicing and modifying some of these varieties of seeds to make a 
variety of rice that is able to grow in the current conditions, which is very interesting and equally terrifying. And not only is it just rice, that there is a massive amount of genuses and seed samples to take from. But there's also like you can think of, for instance, there's crops of potatoes, peanuts, Cajun beans, um, and all of these things, which is actually pretty interesting, are not genetically modified in any sense. So the the difference in varietal and species comes from evolution in itself and not like a man-made rice seed or a man-made barley seed. Yeah, I think it's super cool that they don't allow any genetically modified organisms or seeds into the vault just because, you know, some of those GMO-based seeds probably take a little bit extra to grow. And the whole idea of this bank of seeds is making it as easy as possible, hopefully, for if something were to ever happen that you could go in there and, you know, take out of the domain and help um, start replenishing the earth if that's a viable solution at that point. But some of the cons about the Svalbard itself that people bring up is that this facility costs $9 million to build and it costs millions of dollars to keep up yearly, essentially. And a lot of people have a problem with this because it's not being used, right? It's housing seeds, but there's at this point, there's no demand because we still have farmers, climates are still livable and most areas are plantable so that you're paying millions of dollars a year to keep this thing up where no one really is accessing it often enough to validate that value. That's an interesting take on it for sure because I feel like it's, it's like insurance in the sense of the presence of it there in an ideal world should never be used. You know, there never should be a time when a certain seed that we find very important enough to store in this, you know, this really secure facility will be wiped out. And we need to pull from that that we saved and like, you know, and to replant and restart this like crop or whatever plant it is. So I think that it is a thing of like, you know, necessity and the fact that if you don't know what's going to happen, let's say that or like a huge fire wipes out a whole population of a specific species of let's say corn, since we have that seed in the bank, it'll just be insurance. So I think, yeah, granted, it is an it is an expensive thing to maintain, but I think it's also probably a smart thing too in the aspect of, you know, the world's unpredictable, right? I agree wholeheartedly. And I think that just because it's not being used doesn't mean it's valuable. I think it's about caring for what could happen down the road and what's happening in front of us right now in terms of climate change or overpopulation or, you know, soils are changing or being taken care of the same way. Um, Or you could have something completely random happen, like all the unvaccinated children in the world um, bring measles back and we see another plague. No sleight of hand there. Besides from that rant, though, I think that's a valid thing is like we don't know what's going to happen 10, 20 40 years down the line at the way things are progressing, that always going to be value in having that option to feed and replenish or start growing crops again for future societies can um, lean off of or work off of. Yeah, exactly. And there is a case when it actually kind of, you can see this in action and the fact of, you know, it's not used a lot, 
But if it will be used, then that's a huge, huge thing to have or like a sense of confidence. So for instance, this actually was a scenario where the seed bank was used to, to fruition. So in Syria, basically there was a conflict and they lost a specific strain in their bank at Aleppo. And so there's seed banks all over the world. And so one was in Aleppo and it was a, a strain of heat resistant wheat. And so what happened was that seed like was destroyed. And so what did they do? They basically got that seed from the Svalbard seed bank to kind of like hold that population still present in the world or else it would have like ceased to exist. So there are cases where, you know, this actually happens. It's not just a what if. And so that's why, you know, you can see it in working order as far as like, you know, if they didn't have a heat resistant wheat seed in Syria, like they would literally be like missing a huge portion of what they do. And the thing to think about that is there's also repercussions. So if we look at this Syria case, it wasn't news that their their high heat strain diminished. It was just, it kind of got replenished. They kept going on with their job. But think about in somewhere like America where wheat is in so many products that if we, you know, you lose wheat, then maybe for a while and we didn't have these seeds, you'd have to find other places that have wheat. And then eventually they run out and you kind of have this long chain effect where either the price of wheat is skyrocketing skyrocket or you see some other things happen where people are monopolizing certain seeds so that you know if someone does want it they're going to pay that top price yeah and i think it's one of those things where we like harbor what is important in the world as far as you know this might be a thing that we need in the future so we'll always keep it as like almost like a public availability and another thing, too, is like we're not only looking at Svalbard. It's not like Norway just kind of was like the mature brother of the world, kind of like a large accumulation of seed vaults. So, for instance, just going down the line of a few, there is Camino Verde in Massachusetts that is also a seed vault. There's the Great Lakes Bioneers, Chicago. It's a seed saving initiative, which is a clever name, Chicago, I see you. And also, I mean, there's there's tons of vaults out there, even one in Hawaii, which is a basically a Hawaii public seed initiative. So the world is kind of coordinating with itself to safe keep all of basically the genetic strains of plants that we find important and maintain them throughout the world so that there is kind of like a blanket insurance of like if something really horrible happens, we can at least restart with this seed that we kept. And the nice thing about having multiple seed vaults is if for some reason someone wanted to attack one of these seed vaults and burn all the seeds or destroy them. One, when we look at Svalbard as a, an example, it is 120 meters deep in the permafrost, so everything around it is frozen from the doors, the pipes, the walls, the ground. And then it takes five secure doors and levels of authentication to get through, um, So it, and it's buried in, in the side of a mountain. And then there's three vaults in there, and only one is currently being used, so then they'd have to find the right vault. But saying, you know, one seed vault was attacked, you're not putting all of your eggs in one basket. 
And that's why they try to kind of juggle different seeds or if they see a certain variety of seed or people sending these seeds aren't sending all their seeds just to one place. They're trying to place them in other areas so that if the worst case scenario goes happens, it's available in other areas. Which I think is a very smart thing to do in the fact of, like we said before, it's about making sure that we have this insurance. So we have insurance in the fact of making sure one seed vault isn't the only thing that we are holding on to. So for instance, we do have a little bit of wiggle room in that sense. And also we have insurance in the fact that it's super important. And so we put it in a very, very secure space as far as the Svalbard Global Seed Bank. Yeah, and we hope you got a little seed of knowledge from this and understand that, you know, at the end of the world, there's things being done out there to help the world continue on um, in some sort of way. And I mean, if you want to look for a picture of the Svalbard, it's Svalbard, S-V-A-L-B-A-R-D. It looks like it should be in a James Bond film. It's a super cool facility. And it's just really sweet to see this initiative to have that insurance for generations to come. Exactly. I want to thank you guys for being great podcast fans and listeners. And I hope you guys enjoyed this one because we'll be coming up with the next one soon. Yeah, you guys can uh, tune into our episode next week. If you're a fan of numbers, we're going to take a dive into um, some very interesting statistics. So I hope you enjoyed this one and catch you next time.